Welcome to A Year Ago Today. I'm your host, Tyla Fowler, and I created this podcast because I think it's really important that we take time to honor the significant things that we've been through in our lives, because in my experience, it's only in honoring where we've been that we're able to really see how far we've come, and also to understand the power that we have to radically transform both our present and our future. So thanks a lot for being here with me today. It really means the world to be gifted so generously with your time and attention. I know we live in a moment when absolutely everyone and everything everywhere are vying for our precious time and attention. So I'm deeply honored to have you here listening in. I'm so excited to share with you this week's episode. Oh, like there aren't really words to illuminate how excited I am. Our guest today is Eliza Simpson. She's been on the podcast before, uh, back in October 2016. It was episode 24 titled, If It's Anybody's, It's Yours. And back in that episode, we were talking with Eliza about the one-year anniversary of the first performance of the Motherline Story Project. And she's back with us today to talk about the Motherline again because the Motherline is turning three years old this year. So it's such an honor to, it's always an honor to have a guest that's been on the podcast come back and talk with us again. And it's especially fun to be talking about the same anniversary. You know, it's, uh, these things continue to evolve in terms of what they mean to us and how they anchor our understanding of who we are. So having Eliza back on now at the three-year mark of this incredible creation of hers is such an honor. And on top of that, I just really adore this woman. I love, love, love talking to her. I love watching her on stage. I think she's brilliant. She's going to introduce herself in the in the body of the episode, uh, but I'll go ahead and tell you, she's a New York City-based actor, singer, and dialect specialist, all-around Wonder Woman. Oh, I have loved this woman, I'm going to let you know, since I saw her in a production, a theatrical production called The Mysteries. If you listened to last week's episode with the phenomenal Colin Waite, I hope you have. If you haven't, I invite you to go back and listen. We actually talked quite a bit about the mysteries. He performed the role of Jesus in the mysteries, and Eliza was also in that production. And it's really interesting because I'm not sure if she knows this. I may have told her. Uh, you know how sometimes you see a piece of art, and there are little there are little tidbits of it that kind of like work its way, work their way into your psyche, and. In the show, Eliza played multiple roles uh, because it was this like five and a half hour retelling of the Bible. So <laughs> a lot of the actors were playing multiple roles. And one of the roles that she played was the role of the Pharaoh's daughter who, um, you know, when discovered the baby in the river in the basket, decided to save that baby's life against the Pharaoh's wishes. And that baby was Moses, if I'm not mistaken. As I'm saying this, I'm like, oh boy, I hope I have my Bible story straight. I didn't like go research this before <laughs> getting on here to record. And my knowledge of the Bible is a lot more than a lot of people's, but really not that in depth at all. 
Anyway, as this role of the Pharaoh's daughter and discovering this baby, she was kind of like, what to do, what to do, you know, and one of the, one of her handmaidens in the scene said to her, will you decide? And there's this brilliant moment where Eliza says, I decide as a question. And then there's this very pregnant pause. And then she says in a totally different energy, I decide. And that has always really stuck with me. And in fact, um, it used to be kind of like an ongoing joke with Matt and I, when none of one of us would say, I decide, we would do it in this like, I decide <laughs> voice of this scene that Eliza so brilliantly performed. And I think that's really the power of an excellent performer is they, they have, uh, they have the ability to deliver something very simple in a way that just seeds itself inside of you and stays with you forever and ever. There were so many moments like that from that show, The Mysteries. Uh, that one is particularly precious in my memory. So I guess that's pretty much everything I have to say about Eliza and why I love her. Uh, we do talk in this episode about the Motherline's upcoming birthday party. I mentioned they're turning three years old this year. There's going to be a fundraiser here in New York City with a Motherline performance and a dance party and surprises and amazing people. And so if you're in New York, I would highly, highly encourage you to get a ticket and come celebrate with us. It's such a wonderful opportunity to support a brilliant artist and the team of artists that she's gathered around her to bring this project to life and help it expand and grow and evolve into what it wants to be, which is something so much bigger than, than when it started. And it should also be a lot of fun. So the link to that will be in the show notes, and I invite you to check it out. I'm also going to put in the show notes a link, a link to Eliza's website if you want to go look at some of the work she's done. And uh, I didn't ask her if she wants me to share her social media. I'll definitely put the Motherline social media handles down there, and I'll ask Eliza before I put this out tomorrow whether or not she wants her personal on there as well. And if so, I'll share that. And... Then be sure to follow the podcast on social media. Our handle is a year ago podcast, and you can look us up on Instagram and also on Facebook. Oh, my engagement on those channels has been a little lackluster up to this point. However, I'm really hoping to ramp that up in the coming weeks because I'm really excited to begin fostering deeper and more ongoing conversations around this work with those of you who take the time to listen. It means so much to me that you take the time to listen, and I would love to be more deeply engaged with you. So go ahead and follow on those social channels if you want to be a part of that ongoing conversation. Uh, there are a couple other ways that you can become a part of what we're doing here. The first and easiest way is to share this episode if it resonates with you. Share it on your own social media channels or just send a link to a friend who you think might really enjoy it or maybe to your mom since we're speaking specifically this week about this concept called the mother line or your grandmother or your sister. Ugh, anybody, anybody who comes to your mind or to your heart as you're listening to this week's episode, I would really invite you to trust that calling and reach out to them. 
with the offering of this episode. Like, hey, I listened to this thing. It's great. I think you'll like it. <laughs> uh, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. That is something that really, really helps. And last but most definitely not least, you can support this show by making a recurring financial contribution on Patreon. Patreon is a place you can go. You can make a contribution as little as $1 a month, $3 a month, $5 a month, whatever it is. And that's going to help me moving forward cover the overhead costs of this podcast, which up until this point I've been covering out of my pocket, uh, such as having a website and paying for sound editing. And what I really would love to do is to be able to get each episode transcripted so that I can begin more easily pulling content to foster these social media conversations, you know, little sound bites from the episode, um, things that'll help me keep the online conversation alive without adding a ton to my workload. I'm a one woman show over here for the most part, you guys. And I would really, really appreciate your help in expanding and growing because I really believe in this platform and what it has the power to do. And I'm so grateful for your presence and your support. So that's everything from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you'll enjoy this week's episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. Everybody. Welcome to A Year Ago Today. I'm your host, Tyla Fowler, and I'm here in an apartment in what is this neighborhood? It says Lefferts Gardens. I'm here in an apartment in Lefferts Gardens, New York, with Eliza Simpson. Hi, Eliza. Hi. Will you tell my guests who you are, please? Yes, my name is Eliza Simpson. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I am a artist and uh, entrepreneur businesswoman living in Brooklyn, New York, in Prospect Leopard's Gardens. I am a... Oh, let's see. <laughs> the list is long of the things that I am and the things that I try to do. Um, <clears throat> I am a uh, dialect coach for uh, film and television and individuals. I'm a... Uh, entrepreneur, so I run my own business. I'm the executive director and founder of a arts non-for-profit, and I'm also a performer, so I make music, and I act in plays and films, and, and, and uh, most importantly, I think, for this conversation, <laughs> I'm the founder of the Motherline Story Project, which... Uh, is three years old today. Yay! <laughs> and how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, I'm 28 years old, and I was born not too far from the city in Rockland County, New York, um, to uh, a pair of artists who'd mm -hmm. met each other in New York City and then kind of wandered upstate, um, transformed themselves into, uh, uh, respectively, a high school history and English teacher, and a, a massage therapist and acupuncturist. Oh my gosh. I want your family to adopt me. I remember <laughs> that from last time. So, full disclosure, Eliza and I have 
recorded an episode previously, and if you haven't yet listened to it, I kind of recommend that maybe you stop the recording right now <laughs> and go back and listen to that first interview because it's one of my favorite podcast episodes I've ever done, and I don't know off the top of my head the number of that, but I will put the link to that previous episode in the show notes below the title and description. So if you're in the podcast app, you can just look right down underneath the title and you'll see it there and you can go listen to that and then you can come back. Yeah. And these are the bells. I live right (laughs) next to this beautiful church and the bells go off every 15 minutes. Oh, I love that. I know. I don't mind it at all. At first I was like, oh my God, every 15, but it's really Mm. nice. It's kind of just very subtle and, um, keeps me on track mentally. (laughs) (laughs) I do a lot of coaching over Skype, like Mm -hmm. coaching, so every Mm -hmm. once in a while, I do it on the hour. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, oh, time time to wrap up. Time to sit down and time to get ready. We only have about 15 minutes left. (laughs) That's so nice. What a nice, um, what a nice way to come back to presence every 15 minutes to just have that reminder of like, oh, here I am. Yeah. Oh. I want to live near some bells. It's really, the bells are really nice. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that I spent some time in uh, Cairo Mm -hmm. um, where you can hear the call to prayer Mm. um, five times a day. Mm. And then coming back to New York City and having this kind of general wash of background sound is is also nice. But I remember getting, I don't know, I was like buying gum or something at a a stand and the guy had the call to prayer playing on his radio mm. and I thought oh nice <laughs> oh that's so nice yeah. thank you sir that's interesting since the bells and the call to prayer are both um religiously oriented mm-hmm. yeah well I think that part of part of the many good things there are many good things about religion um but in our humans evolution next to the evolution of religion um one of the the great needs that humans had, and one of the things that religion was able to feed was this kind of um, context and putting our putting ourselves in time, mm. in a day, in a calendar year, in a in a lifetime, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, religion was really religion's really good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that anchoring. Yeah, and this is other people, and this is other lives, and this is you an hour ago, and this is you an hour in the future, and all mm. that context. Time. That's what this podcast is all about. Time. That's so true. So on point. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even realize. That's how it always happens. <laughs> Alright, so are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Okay, so I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. And um, when I do this, I like to put a hand on my heart and a hand on my womb space. Mm-hmm. So if that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just take a few deep centering breaths. And really allow yourself to travel back energetically to around this time three years ago. And allow whatever is present to be present. And when you feel like you've really landed somewhere, share with me in one word how you're feeling. Held. Mm. And now, 
If you will, in one sentence, please share with me and everybody listening, what was going on three years ago today? Three years ago today, the Motherline Story Project was about to have its first public performance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. feelings are coming up for you? Oh, uh, there's a giddiness that comes with remembering that. There's a, um, a sort of a, kind of like, a, almost like a heady, drunk mm. feeling of, of, of high. Mm. It was just so exciting. It was, it was manic. It was, mm. um, it was, uh, but there was too much go for any sort of doubt there was too much like engine there was too much gas in the tank there was too much um mm, yeah <laughs> um everything felt about manifestation mm. um much less self-reflection probably mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, much less uh, observation of the work or observation of the process <laughs> <laughs> it was just a lot of go. It was a lot of go. Mm. Yeah. yeah, which is, I think, the way that births happen, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of uh, gestation of an idea. And I, I think when I think back to Motherline, <clears throat> the, the idea for the concept of Motherline came very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has probably been gestating my whole life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's influenced by so many things and so many different parts of my life and the ideas coming together and wouldn't have been possible before I had turned into the person that I'd become at that point three years ago. Oh my goodness, it's that thing where you finally birth something in the, into the world and then you realize that everything you've ever been through had to happen for you to get to that point. Like how much time we spend wishing things had happened a different way mm. until mm-hmm. you're birthing something into the world and you're like, oh, now I understand. Mm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this conversation's already my favorite. Oh. Okay, so tell everybody, please, what the mother line is. And, um, yeah, let's start there. The Mother Line Story Project is a platform for um, women cis and trans women and uh, non-binary performers who identify with their womb space mm-hmm. to um, write, to uh, workshop, and then to perform what we call motherline stories. And these are short monologues in the first person voice of someone on your motherline. Mm. Your mother, her mother, her mother. Um, the concept comes from a pagan belief that every woman, whether or not she has children, for the nine months that she's within her mother, she's a womb within a womb. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's a vessel within a vessel, which means she catches things. Yeah. Um, and that connection uh, to instinct, to trauma, to power and pain and all of those things that we... Uh, passed down and we inherit is 
very available because of that. So, um, and I, I feel like I'm having to say this more and more, but this, this kind of narrowing focus that we have by inviting cis and trans women and non-binary uh, people who identify with their womb space specifically, mm-hmm. um, that is so that we can put the lens on this connection um, and look at what comes out of that. Not because we have exclusive rights to the motherline or to these stories. We think that everyone should write them. Mm-hmm. We really do. The platform is just for these particular performers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so generous to be like people who identify with the womb space. Like you don't have to have an actual womb anatomically mm-hmm. to be able to identify energetically with that space and what it means yeah. and what it holds. And you don't have to identify with being a woman in order to identify with your womb space. Um, And that came up very early on in our discussions um, about what it is that we're tapping into here. And so it it really is a question of, like, if you um, feel that you've inherited, particularly from this um, lineage of wombs, Mm -hmm. then this is your space to explore that information that you've got. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also love, and I, I told Eliza, I was like, I wish I had gone back and listened to our previous episode so that I wasn't being redundant, but you know what? It's been... Redundancy is sometimes a good thing. It's well, especially good. you're talking about these stories, right? Mm, yeah. These stories that have lived once already and want to live again and again mm. in these different iterations. So, okay, great. I'm giving myself a pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally appropriate for the conversation. And the thing... The fact that I always come to that's so interesting is, like, not only when you're in your mother's womb are you a womb within a womb, but at that same time that you already have all the eggs that you will ever have. So from that perspective, there's a third element. It's like you're a womb within a womb, and you're already holding the seed of a child. Mm -hmm. If you ever have children, like... That means that child was physically present in some way in the body of their grandmother, which, oof. Right. And you want to talk about the imprinting. Absolutely. And science is catching up. There's all of these new studies in epigenetics Mm -hmm. that's identifying really, really clearly that um, instinctual things are passed down this way. Mm. So uh, rabbits exposed to electric shocks and the smell of cherry blossoms. up to like five generations later, those uh, their ancestor, their their children are still having that reaction to cherry blossoms. This kind of increased heart rate and um, mm. freaking out fear response. Fear response. Which can you? I mean, in the context of America and the history of this country, and thinking about slavery and all of the brutality and you know today it's so easy for people to toss out like oh but slavery's over like what's your why are you still playing the race card and it's like no you don't understand this trauma and not just slavery however to me that's always really present in the conversation yeah. around these things um it's like no that that trauma is embedded it's embedded in our being mm-hmm. yeah. and especially if you want to talk about fear response and what that does to like living in a human body with a fear response that mm-hmm. even as you're living in it, it feels so sometimes out of proportion. Mm-hmm. And I think we can probably all relate to that. Yeah. Like sometimes it, some response will come up to something and it feels so powerfully out of proportion to the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. 
and we can start to wonder like what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I'm having such a big Mm -hmm. response and it's instinct it's at this point uh, sorry at this point in time that instinct is there to keep you alive you know we are incredible incredible creatures and that we don't keep things that don't serve us Mm. Um, and we're constantly readjusting and constantly adapting Um, but sometimes it it takes some uh, it takes some work to discover that the things don't serve us right they don't always follow me naturally yeah yeah Um, and that said everyone every day is dealing with this inherited instinct Mm -hmm. patterns that they've gotten from their ancestors Um, and we're all doing the work that we need to do to navigate those and see if they still serve us motherline is um a theatrical exploration Mm -hmm. so less than an individual kind of therapeutic experience which motherline can be uh that's not its aim its aim is to uh, highlight and amplify storytellers Mm -hmm. who are sharing the stories of their motherline because when they share them the audience immediately can plug in with empathy and I've seen the project create these kind of immediate bridges of empathy mm. um, cross-culturally over language barriers, um, age barriers, gender barriers, yeah. um, things that we think separate us and divide us fall away mm-hmm. um, because everyone has a mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone. 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 And our, our relationship to our mothers are as diverse as there are as many people in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that connection builds this empathy, and that lets us connect on a much deeper level. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting to watch and see. Yeah. Let's talk about the evolution. So three years ago, first performance. It was not small by any means. <laughs> However, compared to what you're doing now and what you've created in the last three years and the reach that this has had, like there's been quite an evolution. So I would love for you to share whatever feels relevant around how it's grown. Well, the mother line came from this concept and at every point in the journey, it feels like the concept is so strong that it carries the project forward. Um kind of despite our, like, human fumblings and, like, <laughs> yeah. mess. This thing wants to live. It wants to live, and it's and it's grounded in something that's deeper and older than we are. Yeah. And so we can be, you know, this is the first time that I have run an arts nonprofit. That's part of the evolution. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. When yeah. we started, it was just an idea. And it was just people we knew getting together over wine and cheese and trying out this concept. Mm. And then it was a kind of natural progression of, I wonder if this would be interesting for other people to listen to besides us. Putting it up on its feet. That was three years ago. The very first time we invited friends Mm -hmm. to see if it had any merit as a theatrical thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what the first episode that we did was all about. We spent the whole episode talking about that performance and what it was like to see the thing live for the first time on a stage. So we won't go too deep into that here, but go listen to that episode if you didn't already. I'm serious. Turn this off right now and then go back and listen to that one and then come back. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really, it was a really 
exciting, important moment. Um, and, and for me, I think I felt what a lot of creators feel and what a lot of mothers feel of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I have zero control. <laughs> it's out in the world. Once it's it comes thing. out of you. It's good. <laughs> right, right. And you're, yeah, and you can say like, I, I like, I, I take a lot of pride in the mantle and the title of founder. Mm. Um, but it's so not me, you know, anymore. It, the project is its own beast and it belongs to anyone who does it and it doesn't belong to any of us and it just kind of mm. keeps... Um, at this point, I'm just uh, shoveling coal into the engine to try to keep it moving forward so that it can touch more people. Like the custodian. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a steward. Mm-hmm. That feels good. So how is it? First show. First show, right? How so big first was show that? was about um, we did it in a studio uh, in New York City, studio rental. So it was a big room where they held, hold dance classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. We set up all these chairs in the shape of uh, a vulva, and then we had all our performers sit in the middle. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and, and and you could see people kind of realize it as they walked in, and then they have a seat. Um, and we were planning for about, I think it's like, fifty people, and we had. 80 and that felt massive mm-hmm. um the room was filled um and that energy was great so we did that it was a very informal share and then uh, then we started to do performances more kind of theatrical performances with lights and real theaters and um we kept holding these workshops and we let it kind of grow and expand and it went down to a theater in uh, Florida mm-hmm. um, with one of our kind of facilitators, Lauren Nordvik. So she took it down there and did the workshops there with a group who'd never encountered it before, and they did their own performance. And it felt, it it felt the same, but it was so new because mm-hmm. now we really had proof that you can take this concept and drop it, and it'll yeah. grow. The seed will grow. Mm-hmm. So the next step was to take it someplace even farther away and drop it. So we had a grant through the U.S. Embassy in Cairo. They were holding a theater festival that was supposed to um, highlight Egyptian women's voices. Wow. So we had a contact there, a theater director, who wanted to direct the show. And so they sponsored us to come over and hold the workshops that would generate the content for the show, and then the theater director would direct it. And when we got there, she was really clear. She was like, you know, I think that you should direct it, and I'll produce it. I'll be the artistic director. She did a, a lot of directing, um, but it was it was very collaborative. They really wanted us to be a part of it, and the stories were all in Arabic. All the actresses were Cairo-based, um, and the, they spanned in age from 14 to 70, and the stories were beautiful, and it, it worked. It, it, the seed dropped and the stories grew and it felt the same, but it was, again, totally different. So, um, and we came back to the States and we took it to a university and we did it with a company of actors there and we dropped it and the seed grew and the show blossomed. Um, and every place we take it is completely unique, mm-hmm. but it just works. It's such a strong concept that it drops into a place and immediately lands and creates foundation and then goes well it's a container yeah it's a womb it's a womb it's a womb space yeah (laughs) 
it's been really, really exciting to watch it grow. And so now, three years after that point in time, we've started to bring in more structures that will help to support it long term. So we've become a New York State nonprofit. Um, we're in the process of getting our 501c3, so knock wood for us mm -hmm. we get that. We've got a big fundraiser uh, coming up on the 12th. That's of September. Of September. And that's going to highlight, it's going to showcase storytellers and a couple of new storytellers so that people coming can get a feel for what we are. But more importantly, it's to raise funds for this next Motherline season, which sees us combining all the elements we've created so far and pushing them to the next level. So we've been invited to um, universities. We've been invited by the director to go internationally again. And we've got a, a regional theater this time very far away who would like us to come and host this workshop and create a show there. So you, I'm being purposefully vague and mm -hmm. not saying these because um, they're in the works. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully what it will be able to do is kind of announce it in full right before this fundraiser. <laughs> um, and... Um, just as stewards of the project, put a couple more uh, structures in place to help this thing as it grows even larger and larger. Um, it's been so good to be supporting this project. Mm. And what it's taught me is that you don't support something alone. So you call on your community and you call on the structures of support and you you do a disservice to yourself, but also to the project if you think that it's all on you, on one individual, mm -hmm. or, or a couple individuals, or one way of thinking, or one method of support and love, or, you know, it just, you, you, you limit um, if you get caught in, in any sort of pattern, and so it's been three years and I have to open myself up to the idea that there are ways that this project could grow that I haven't considered and will surprise me and I just need to be ready mm. to welcome them. Yeah, it's like sending your kid to school. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like as you're talking about this and saying, you know, you limit, you limit the way a project can grow if you think that it's all on one person or just a couple people. I'm like, okay, well, we're talking about parenting. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, if you exactly. think that you have to or should raise a child alone, like, that does limit a child. Mm -hmm. It takes, you know, it takes a village as a saying for a reason. Mm -hmm. And also how scary it can be to open up and let other people in yeah. to something that's so precious that has come from you or through you. Mm -hmm. oh. I think there's also a degree for me, uh, like a worry that people won't accept it or be excited about it or take care of it, you know? And then that way I'm starting to understand parents. <laughs> even more it's like oh god it's so you've nurtured and loved this being that you see so fully mm. and you're gonna send it out into the world for the people who won't see it fully or appreciate it fully and yeah god <laughs> god what 
the world is cruel sometimes. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot of that, I think. Mm. There's a lot of very real emotion for you there. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think I, when I think back to three years ago, the word that came to me was held. Mm. Um, and in good ways and bad ways, I was so kind of supported and um, lifted and contained um, in that moment in time. But that also meant that I sort of had blinders on. You know, I could I could go and I could do and I had no doubts and no hesitations because I couldn't really take in anything else besides what I was focused on. Yeah. Um, that's good and bad. I'm so, uh, so amazed by the, <laughs> There's a little by the little saw happening in the background. Also to the, the parallels of giving birth, mm. you know, like physiologically giving birth is that I think very same experience where you have blinders on and the only thing mm-hmm. to think about is this thing that's happening right here, right now. And you have to block out everything else because you have you have a job to do. Yeah, you have a very important job to do, and it requires all of you. Mm-hmm. And then what it's like to let that thing live, like it has probably required so much of you in these early stages. And I'm, is there any? I'm wondering if there's anything present for you around like the bigger this thing grows the less of you personally it's going to (laughs) require. And what does that feel like? I mean, it's your baby in a way. Yeah. I think it's, it's already kind of happening in a really good way. Then a couple moments in time when, um, I've had to delegate or think about a few, uh, a, a, a potential project that I wouldn't be able to be a part of and, and think to myself, no, it's okay. This, this other person who's involved in the project can, can do that. They can handle that. And that's exciting to me, though. Yeah. That's really exciting. Um, I, do, I do love the blinders. I love when you just have to do because you have a job. I'm, it's not that I don't love. I'm just less successful at the part where I have to <laughs> take a step back and look at everything and organize and plan and prep and all of those things. Um, uh, other people are really good at that. I need to uh, let those people <laughs> do what they're really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm, I, I want to say in response to that question, I'm totally comfortable with that. I'm totally <laughs> ready. Like I'm the I'm the mom at this at the playground who's like, go play, go play, go play. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and it's probably because underneath somewhere I'm like, don't leave me. What yeah. will I do? Um, and I'm probably overcompensating in that way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just there's a lot of different. And this is, you know, this is an artistic project. I can't even, I can't, like, imagine if this thing had a pulse and eyeballs. I'd be losing my mind. Oh, my God. How do you do it? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> we're maybe at that point. If the project is a three-year-old, I'm like, go play. Mm. You got this, baby. Go, yeah. go. I'm here if you need me. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. 
we'll go, we'll go get ice cream later, but, like, go play. It's really easy, at least for me, though, to, like, project forward, you know, like, 15 more years from now and imagine, like, how, how it will be living at that point and what your connection to it will be at that point and your active role in it because I can imagine it being so big it's like universities everywhere are doing this every <laughs> semester you know like that it's like franchised almost which it's, how incredible would that be it's totally and it's possible it's a refillable thing yeah um and we want it as containers are as containers are <laughs> mm. there's a there's a university that we're talking to that uh, would like us to come back every year um the same time mm. and uh I think that the, the work that could come out of that would be incredible. Yeah. Um, but it makes perfect sense to me, so I'm just like, yeah, of course we come back every year. Um, I don't know, 15 years. 15 years. Who will, who will we all be in 15 years? I think it's, it's, it says something about me and where I am in my process right now that I, I like, my brain actually shuts down. I'm like, no. Um, I can't even think to, like... <laughs> if you ask me about like 15 months from now and I'm like I have no idea I have no idea no idea no. Oh. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah um, br- bring me back Bring me back. <laughs> what is the... Where are we? I'm wondering... What's been... I want to do, like, a little, like, retrospective couple of questions. Mm. So, like... What's been... The most personally challenging moment for you? There was um, recently some reorganizing in Motherline itself, in the kind of core group of people who had been a part of the project. Mm. Um, and that felt really difficult and, uh, and sad. Um, but again, that was a reminder that we bring everything that makes us human, all our our um, trials and our traumas and everything, we bring that to our work. Um, and and sometimes it's bigger than what we're working on and we got to honor that. In this case, uh, it was bigger and so the person didn't feel like they could be part of the project. And so they... Um, and I, res- I respect that a lot. It was... It was it was a really, really good reminder. It was really, really sad and difficult, but it was a really, really good reminder of um, taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this project itself, the core concept is really bedrock, but it, the structure is, is malleable. Mm-hmm. So um, the project shifted and changed and adapted um, into what we have now, which is... Um, a non-for-profit that um, reaches out to institutions um, and does kind of shows based on commission. Mm. Um, 
we've been continuing to hold these writers' workshops, kind of us, the project, um, creating them. Um, but I think that they are a vestige of the way that we used to operate. And even though they're, they're a wonderful creative space, I don't think that's where we're going in the future. I think the future of this project is going to be literally a container for commission. Mm. And you ask the project to come, and it comes, and drops down, and is filled with the people and the artists and the community there, creates a really one-of-a-kind performance, mm. Mm -hmm. and then leaves. Wow. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Like, you just come and hold the space. Shaman-like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple friends who have uh, who work in shamanistic ways, and it's really difficult for them to operate and hold down a normal job. Because the thing is that when you get asked to go, you have to go. So, um, yeah. I think our <laughs> our next step for the Motherland Story Project, or Motherland Story Project Inc., mm -hmm. as we now are, mm. is um, building ourselves structures so that we can do that. We can do the kind of work we want. Mm -hmm. We can pick up, we can go, we can drop down, we can leave. And that's sustainable mm -hmm. for us as facilitators. Mm -hmm. What's that shift felt like into realizing that like facilitation is what it's about? It, it's felt very natural, but also uh, an awakening to myself as an artist in that the project was created when I felt, again, held and the most confident in myself as an artist that I'd ever felt. Mm -hmm. I had a really, really solid job. You know, I felt like I had an artistic community that was there. I felt like I was being recognized. I was getting paid for my work. Mm -hmm. These are all things that are, like, help us to think, yes, I am who I am. The world sees me. And it's safe to get bigger. And it's safe to get bigger. And the first thing I did in that scenario was like, well, I should create this project where I'm a facilitator. Um, not where I'm performing, although I did perform. Um, but I'm listening to that voice, that initial voice that said, you should make things happen for others. Mm. Um, in a really, it feels really good. It feels really natural and good. Um, I, I like being a facilitator. There's a power in it that's really surprising. I think a younger version of myself was really convinced that the power lay in being the final gateway between the art and the audience. Mm. Um, so the words of the play leave your mouth, and like that's the power. And I'm feeling more and more, I guess in my maturity, that that is not the case and I want to hold space and create structure and uh, facilitate the storytelling there's mm. power there that's such a gorgeous awareness and I find deep resonance with it mm. in terms of like I mean simply said it's like about not having to be the star of the show yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is uh, <laughs> kind of what's going on with this podcast a little bit right now, is I'm realizing, like, it's been a little bit, like, it resurrected in March, and from March to, like, 
mid-July, it kind of just felt like the Tyler show. And, like, people <laughs> came and people left. And really recently I've been having a similar mm-hmm. shift where I'm like, oh, this will be so much more powerful and will live so much more powerfully mm-hmm. if I get out of the way. Yeah. And if I just step back and hold the space for other people to come fill it and express mm-hmm. through it and bring their own nuanced expression through the container mm-hmm. like if I can hold a safe container for people to come into to tell their story in their words it gets to be so much bigger yeah I feel that that's a that's a a good um articulation of that <laughs> that journey <laughs> I I'm with you because I I think as artists we are fed narratives about how art should be a personal journey, that uh, it's all about the artist, mm. that the artist's pain is what the audience is, well, artist's experience is what the audience is connecting to. Well, it's interesting that you said pain, because mm. that is definitely the narrative. Yeah, exactly. Conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, as I, and as you are finding out, so much of this is about the audience experience. It has zero to do <laughs> with the artist. Yeah. You just kind of build a structure and they really, the art individual really does fill it. Mm. More and more, I'm convinced that the best seat in the house on any artistic um, experience is the audience. That's the experience. Mm-hmm. I think that had a lot to do with the moment when I realized that being in a play shouldn't feel like watching a play. Or being in a film shouldn't feel like watching a film. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, a narrative that we're fed a lot. That, like, be a star. Mm. It'll feel as good as watching this story about being a star. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, it's just different. It's really, really different. And you can be told that a bunch of times, but until you live it, you don't really take it in. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. With a lot of, like, differences in experience. I'm figuring it out. Doing a lot of. I'm doing a lot of free falling. That held thing from three years ago. <laughs> Not feeling it now. <laughs> Not feeling it now. Feeling solid, which mm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Feeling really solid in myself, but a hundred percent by myself. Mm. So mm. supported by my own engine. Like I'm only thing Mm. the amount of space for self-reflection is staggering (laughs) (laughs) I am just like overwhelmed with the awareness of myself Mm. Um, which is really a blessing then that motherline exists for me to be able to support and create structure and take that power, that engine that I'm so aware of right now and put it into use for uh, other people's process. Mm-hmm. It's a very natural way for you to get to be of service. Yeah, yeah. The service is a really important thing. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it all out. I'm trying to figure it all out. I... Is this, this is terrible to say, but I was like, the service is a really important thing and doesn't fix me. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not fixed. 
I don't know what will or when or how. I don't know how to fix me. I'm just like keeping, keeping free falling and keeping watching myself and taking the next step. But like nothing, nothing, nothing feels as secure as those blinders used to feel. Mm. Which is, I think, why we hold on to a lot of, like, illusions. Because even though they're illusions, they're so comforting. Yeah. Um, nothing feels as good as those did. But they don't anymore, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, it's like having that singular purpose that you can just... <laughs> you can't see my hand right now, but I'm like really clenching my fist in this like vice grip, yeah. you know, and to go back to that, that analogy of like parenthood though, it's like to remain that singularly focused on being the mother of the child. Once the child no longer needs that mm. strangles the child. Mm-hmm. And also like, I think there are a lot of, probably parents, women in particular, who have that experience of holding on so tight to motherhood. And it ends up killing the thing, Mm. killing the relationship Mm -hmm. between you and the child and also starving yourself of opportunity to let new, fresh purpose find you. Right. You know, so so I love this, like, free fall energy where it's like, okay, I don't know when the next big purpose is going to come in that is going to be the next set of blinders that I will naturally put on and go down that lane. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I'm sure must feel like both exciting, like you want that, but also scary because then you may have to divert even more energy away from the mother line. You know, it's like... You know, it's like having that second baby and the first baby maybe gets a little less attention. I know. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're very much well, there. We're I love how like... perfectly all the birthing and childhood <laughs> analogies line up. I mean Yeah, it's right there. This project is um this project helps you to Oh my gosh. I'm trying to say this. Okay. Well, the Motherline Story Project, anytime you talk about it, you're reminded how birthing and nurturing is present in almost everything we do mm-hmm. because it's so prevalent. It's so everywhere. I think that's why the stories of mothers sometimes get shuffled off and put in this kind of common every everyday drawer. Well, yes. And I think that's like the, the lie mm. that we've been fed when really the reason that, the narratives around mothering and motherhood and birthing, the real reason that those have been pushed aside and cast away and put in shadow and relegated to the bottom of the closet is because that's where power lies. Yes. Like, all generative, creative power of the universe is summed up in stories of birthing and mothering things. Mm -hmm. Whether it's real children creative projects Mm -hmm. and to not talk about those stories and to pretend like those stories don't matter is effectively to diminish and hide the source of creative power Mm -hmm. which leaves 
us all powerless because if you can't see the stories, if you don't have the archetypes, Mm -hmm. you don't know how to be it. You know, it's like this thing where that's why the stories have been taken away. Mm -hmm. It's to disempower. I mean, now we get into my big, like, macro-level conspiracy theories about how we've been systematically disempowered by the wealthy white men at the top. It's uh, it's absolutely real. If you look at the stories, the narratives mm-hmm. that we're ingesting, they, they're conflict-based. Oh, conflict is interesting. But it's destruction. Yeah. It's it's war, it's violence, it's a lot of that. Destruction's really, Rape really... Rape and violent. pillage. Rape and pillage. And it's coupling... So it's romance. Oh, rape it's, and pillage and pour everything you are into this container of an intimate two-person... Mm-hmm. Coupling. It's the coupling. Oh, the coupling is so great. And then it stops before um, before mm. birth. Yeah. Before nurturing and raising. Those narratives are, are not present. They're not as in the forefront. And let, just like you're saying, you don't know how to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so many people in our generation... We know how to. We don't know how to be. We don't know how to nurture ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's a blanket statement, of course, but like we're it's pretty true. Yeah, and we so we know how to break. We know how to destroy. We've got lots and lots of of, of templates for how to get together, mm. how to meet up, how to connect. But then we don't have templates for how to nurture, how to maintain, how to. Um, and it doesn't mean that we can't do it. We don't figure it out for ourselves. But how many people do you know who are like, oh, man, I'm really figuring this shit out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, man, I've really got the growth of a long-term relationship totally unlocked. That's totally my like strongest skill set. <laughs> it's no, a Everyone's skill set. like, I don't know. It's like, how many people do, do you know that are in long-term relationships, whether it's mm-hmm. a romantic partnership or a long-term relationship with a job or mm-hmm. any long-term relationship mm-hmm. that they're happy. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that it's rare. It's rare and it's it's, it's not picture perfect. Yeah. You know, we don't have pictures of that. We're yeah. like we're like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the smile and nod. Yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. Have you ever seen a a baby be born? A yeah. video or a real person? Real person. Oh, my goodness. Well, my mom is a doula. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I've been to a couple births. And uh, I actually, but that was what I was going to, that's what I was going to be. Um, when I was in high school, I was like, absolutely, I'm going to nursing school. Then I'm going to become a midwife. Um, senior year, I did an apprenticeship with a home birth midwife. So I got to see what that world was like and follow that. And it's really, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, I just went to a <clears throat> a conference in Austin with Doula Trainings International. So it was all these doulas, which I was also like, doulas are my people. So hardcore. The like the doulas conversations are bad that you asses. can have, yeah, yeah. incredible. And the the level of self awareness you have to have to be a doula because you have to yes. hold such safe space for other people, and like the kind of experiences you've had to shepherd people through. Anyway, that's like one of the things. So Instagram used and Facebook used to really censor even like breastfeeding photos and birth photos. Mm-hmm. They would get taken down right away. Um, there's a project called the Empowering Birth Project, and the woman behind this um, project, her name's Katie something, has worked really hard to get these platforms to remove that cens- censorship. But they're like, you can see videos of people being decapitated, but you can't see a photo, a video of a woman giving birth, mm-hmm. and 
on the way here this morning, actually, I opened up my Instagram and I was scrolling and I, there was a picture or a video and it's like the camera is pointing straight at this woman's vagina and you're, and then there's a baby's head coming out and you're watching this and I've seen, I've never seen this happen in person, but now I've seen like three or four of these birthing videos and it's so like shocking to me first, first shocking and then terrifying <laughs> and then empowering and this woman was speaking at the conference and the same thing and she was like if we've never seen it how can we expect it to do it and feel safe uh-huh. doing it yeah yeah how are we how are we cut off yeah from literally wow yeah and really uh-huh well uh-huh. so we're <laughs> we're gesturing you can't, you can't see us we're but. gesturing <laughs> Cutting ourselves off from our lower half and then from our own heads. Yeah, downward. Downward. We live yeah. so much, and that's the thing is we live so much up here in our head. Yeah. And it's like there's this whole universe of the body. I had a question that I hope you'll entertain, mm. which is three years. Mm-hmm. How many stories would you have to guess? If you had to guess, would you had to guess? It's not a sentence. <laughs> I, I think from the workshops and the performances and we've got to be nearing 300 stories. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Are there any stories that have really, really stuck with you? Yes, and uh, too many mm. to count. Uh, this project for me is the reason that it, I as a person can continue um, to recommit every single day is that any motherline story I hear touches me very specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm immediately engaged. There have been a lot that took what I thought was true and turned it upside down really yeah yeah especially in regards to how you can love um Mm. there are so many ways to love there um there's so many ways to nurture and there are so many ways to um support and some of them are not healthy and some of them are complicated and have strings attached and some of them some of them feel and look and smell like neglect, you know? Um, and I think that's what I've learned the most about is that when you're creating a motherland story, you are, as a writer, looking at something from someone else's perspective. When you're listening to a motherland story, you're looking at something from someone else's perspective. And you can't not have empathy for that person. So around something as complicated and as charged as mother-daughter relationships, uh, empathy is not always fun and is not always um, warm and fuzzy. You have to put yourself in some some nasty head spaces and heart spaces. And it's still important to do. It still makes you better and bigger and puts you in context. And it's, it's made me... It's changed me so much. Every single story I hear through the motherline. Mm-hmm. Um, every single story I've written through the motherline has made me say, "Oh, maybe this scenario is not what I thought it was." 
maybe the story I've been living in is not the only one that's valid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There was a story recently that kind of um, really freaked me out, mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to live in this kind of, oh, wow, I'm feeling and thinking. I wasn't able to stay impartial. Um, we did a workshop that my mother attended, and it was the first time she'd ever been at a workshop. And even before she shared her story, we do an exercise where you have to explain how to do something in five steps. And then you tell the woman next to you how to do those things in five steps. And then you tell that woman next to you how to do those five things in the voice of your mother, telling you how to do those five steps. So that was a, it's always a big thing because everyone is an expert on how their mother talks to them. Even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know it. Um, And uh, my mother turned to me and started speaking to me in the voice of my grandmother. And I was immediately reminded that I didn't didn't like my grandmother. And neither did my mom. And it was complicated because so much of this project is inspired by my grandmother. Um, And that I can love her and respect her life and, and... and tell her stories. So many of the stories I've written have been in her voice, and I've gained so much compassion. I've gained so much empathy for this person. Mm-hmm. And then my mom channeled that voice, and I hated it. I hated her, and I was not. There was no love. There was empathy, yeah. but there was no love. It really shook me. It's visceral for you. Yeah. So it's a good reminder to me that we carry dualities. I spend so much time finding empathy for my grandmother and finding empathy for my mother. That inside of me lives all of the pressures and and pain and wants of my grandmother and all of the pressures and pains and wants of my mother. And they are directly in conflict. There is a literal war happening inside of me. Two sets of experiences that I didn't live, but I've just inherited. And that fucking, that blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, my mother's standing right there. And, um, and I like, don't want her to touch me. I'm just so overwhelmed. And then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) And then we, uh, we stopped the exercise and I was just like, I don't like that. She was like, I didn't like it either, you know? And, um, and she shared a story that she'd written and it was really lovely. And, um, uh, I st- but I, I still think back to it and get a very physical response. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a reminder. It's just a reminder to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. And then what happened? Like, and then I like kept working and kept doing the project, but it's um, it's got, it's got hurt. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of comfort and empathy, and um, pain. Yeah, that's what the word that was coming up for me is pain. All the unexamined pain of our mother line. Examining uh, and examining it will be painful. 
Well, and it's like that unless you are practiced at getting outside your own narrative, mm -hmm. you live inside your own narrative, which means you don't see other people's pain. Or if you do see it, usually you're not connecting with it in an empathetic way because it's affecting you negatively. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, the unexamined pain of our mother line can be a reason to harbor so much of our own anger and hatred and resentment towards our mother line almost for this like why didn't you do a better job dealing with your pain because of how it's now affected me yeah. instead of coming at it with that greater empathy and from a place of like your pain is my pain yeah because both things are true all things are true Ugh. That open connection. It's, it's a its a powerful thing, and I think it can feel like a curse sometimes. And can be, can act like one, but it's its because it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just so like. Was I? I had a thought, it's totally gone. But it was about empathy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's gone. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe I'll breathe and it'll come back. That's uh, a reason why I'm really grateful for this particular podcast. I think that it, it forces that sort of self-reflection mm -hmm. that can feel uncomfortable and painful um, and oh now I found it again yeah that it was interesting what you were telling me before you said that you're finding more and more that the stories that are um, about oppression are really what need to be voiced here in this container and we spoke just a minute ago about how these narratives of, of birthing and nurturing have gotten suppressed in a, in a, a way to contain the power of that process, the power of women. And uh, something that I'm learning through this project is that systems of oppression that we put, we have titles for like sexism and racism, ageism, classism, um, they feel evil because they're, they're institutionalized. And they're really just systemized ways of not feeling pain. Yeah, even the most deadly, disgusting, despicable systems of oppression are there so that the ones on the other side of the glass don't have to feel pain. And uh, mm. because of that, uh, it's really easy to distance yourself because pain is painful. <laughs> you don't want that shit. Yeah. I don't want to have to think about your experience. Mine is painful enough. Yeah. Um, and the ugly flip side of that is when I refuse your pain, I am refusing my own. Yeah. And that when I refuse my own pain, I am participating in my own oppression. Mm-hmm. Which is like, ah, <laughs> uh, so how do we end oppression? Just by opening up to feeling all our pain. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, easy ways are said than done. 
but but uh, the best thing that we can do to be citizens or participants in a world um, without oppression is to actively engage in empathy mm-hmm. and uh, actively wade through our own our own systems of oppression uh, and be uncomfortable every once in a while. Yeah. The thing about empathy that it was so present for me just a moment ago, and I guess still is, <laughs> is that you can't be empathetic without having a willingness to feel the things. Like, at a baseline, that's what empathy is. You have to be willing to feel, feel, why does that word sound funny? Feel. I was like, am I saying feel or fill? Feel the things. Well, and that's interesting because it's like to feel the things and to allow yourself to be filled with feeling. And feeling is like the least, the thing that's least possible to be controlled. You know, once you open up to it, there's no telling where it's going to go or how it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. It's um, the most powerful mm-hmm. and the most terrifying and the most liberating. Absolutely. Lives so deeply in me right now. This feeling of opening yourself up and allowing all of that in. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just going to try every day to allow that. Allow that. And some days I will not allow that. <laughs> some days, sometimes when my mother tries to tell me a story in the voice of her mother, I will full on, mm, I reject. This is, I can't, no. Not today. Not today. <laughs> full night's sleep. Try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is so important to remember that we have what we need to keep ourselves safe and that it's always okay to say not today mm. as long as we're not saying not today every day. Mm-hmm. This got, this got deep. Got real deep. <laughs> I feel like we moved to a different room because it was getting loud in the other room. The energy in this room is different. It is. It is. <laughs> it's very different. This is room. a witchy room. I have a really awesome roommate who puts down some really good energy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're curious about that, that's what's happening. Here. <laughs> and the nice skylight. Oh. All right. So, let me think. Are there any other big questions I have for you? Hmm. I am so grateful that we had this chance to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, this podcast is set up to create that sort of uh, reflection. Put yourself in context and you've allowed me to do that twice um, and reflect on the reflection <laughs> and um, I feel that this conversation has been really useful and also I I feel a little at sea because in the past time we talked and then on the time I was reflecting in both of those times I felt like I was more like in the throes of it and where you find me now is deep in the heart of my Saturn return, like looking at myself and kind of free falling. And so I'm speaking less decisively, but perhaps with more objectivity, mm. vantage point about where I am and what it means to make art and what it means to nurture art in the long term. Mm-hmm. 
And to nurture yourself in the long term. I walked right into that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did. I did. I don't know why I'm like, I can absolutely nurture my art. And then I look at myself and I'm like, no. Well, I could tell you, I'm like, I could tell you why. It's because you feel like there's a disconnect between your art and yourself. And what you have to realize is that it's actually the same thing. Mm -hmm. You are your art. There's no separation there. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to everything we've been talking about. Like all these false feelings of separation that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's these, not real. Yeah. These boundaries that help us to, you know, categorize life and compartmentalize our experience. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, thank you. You're welcome. So I'm going to invite you now to close your eyes again. And... Just allow yourself to come to presence and be with all of the energy that we've activated. And really tune into everything going on in your field. And in the field of what you're creating, and of what you have created, and of what you will create. And when you feel ready, share with me in one word how you're feeling. Buzzing. And if you could go back to three years ago today and speak directly to yourself from the woman that you are now, what would you say? Keep going. Keep going. Keep moving from your heart and from your gut and don't change a thing. I don't know that I would steer her in any other direction. Because she's got it. She's got it. She's got And everything she does and will do has let me here. And I... Yeah. I, I really... I don't know that I'd change anything. Yeah. That's where I am. Really grateful. <sighs> and... You know that's because you've got it. (laughs) And everything that you are doing and everything that you will do is just as perfect.
right here. <laughs> and everybody listening is invited to this upcoming show, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> On September 12th, we're having a really great party. Mm-hmm. It's a fundraiser. So um, the theme is Motherland Story Project turns three years old. <laughs> it's a birthday. There's going to be, <laughs> be live music um, uh, and uh, a performance. Mm-hmm. There's going to be an announcement of the Motherland 2019 season. Um, and then there's going to be a big dance party mm-hmm. and cake. And a photo booth? Oh, there's going to be face painting, photo booth, surprise birthday boxes. Um, there's going to be a hug from mom booth rather than a kissing booth. Oh. There's going to be uh, just like a really good time. And it's swanky, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little swanky. Spot. I'm going to be there. There you go. So You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Are you guys going to be there? <laughs> it's in New York City, so if you live in New York, this yeah. is for you. And if you don't live in New York and you want to fly in, come on through. Go for it. Also, if you want to support, check out the website. There's lots of ways to get involved. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have an international outreach and community, and that's what we're about. So if you are international <laughs> or anywhere, and you want the Motherland to come to you, like reach out to us, motherlandstoryproject.com. Yeah, we'll put all of the information in the show notes. And like Eliza said, if you want, however you want to be involved, whether it's coming to a show, coming to this party, donating your hard-earned money, feeding this project, bringing this project to you, all the things are possible. And you really should because it's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to say to the people? Ah, I think you are great. <laughs> I do. I I love you very much. That's all. Yeah. I love you guys, too. Um, so I guess with that, we'll say bye to them. Bye, guys. Thanks for coming in and listening. Yeah, thanks for being with us. It's been really special. Mm-hmm. If you want to let us know what you think about the episode... Send us an email to a year ago podcast at gmail.com. I also really would invite you to share this episode maybe with your mother or your daughter mm-hmm. or your sister <laughs> or your best friend or your aunt or your cousin. I don't really care who you share it with as long yeah. as you share it. <laughs> I would share it with someone who you think practices empathy in a way that you appreciate. Mm. Let them know that you see them and you know that it's not easy. Yeah. And you appreciate it. That's a beautiful idea. Do that. And while you're at it, rate and review us on iTunes <laughs> and buy a ticket to the Motherland party. Yeah, come through. Yeah, it's September 12th, 2018. So you have this is going to come out August 31st. You have however many days that is 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> Don't delay. Don't delay. Jump on it. All right. We'll see you there. Bye, guys. <laughs>